You got a Bible with you tonight? Go with me, please, first of all, to the book of Jeremiah. I am believing, not just for myself, but for you, for answers tonight. Somebody say answers. How great is it to get an answer? When you've got a question, especially one that's just pressing and one that's burning, you need an answer. You want an answer. And I am believing God tonight for answers to come out of this time, answers to come out of his word, and answers to come out of his presence. I so appreciate what Sarah ministered to us um, about King Jehoshaphat and that, that whole account. She started talking to me about that today at the house, and that just seems so good and so right. And uh, I'm believing tonight that the Lord's going to do some, some of the same things in our lives. He's going to fight some battles for us. That's good. When, he's, when he goes to work for you, he goes to battle for you. That's when, that's when you know you've got it made. Thank you, Lord, for answers. Jeremiah chapter 32. And uh, we began something last month at family night that I think it seems good to the Lord that we just continue and stay on this same track. I want to recap just a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 32 the prophet here is about to pray. He's got some questions for God, but I love how he prays. And there's something you and I can learn from this. He didn't just say, dear Lord, and then bang, here's my question. He knows how to come before God. <clears throat> Verse 17, Jeremiah 32. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. That's a great way to start a prayer, especially when it's a prayer considering something that just seems really hard, impossible, and difficult. It's a great way to start your prayer by saying, God, <laughs> you have made earth. You have made heaven. You did it all by your power and your outstretched arm, and nothing is too hard for you. I like the way the Amplified says it. Nothing's too hard. Nothing is too wonderful. Nothing is too wonderful. And there are many people you ask them, I mean, how wonderful would it be to have a body just free of pain, free of sickness, free of any kind of disease, just living life free of all that stuff, not distracted by any of it. How wonderful would that be? Oh, they say, well, I'd be wonderful. That'd be amazing. That would be wonderful. Let me tell you something. It would be wonderful, but it's not too wonderful. A lot of folks would tell you that'd be wonderful, but just, that's too much, too wonderful. Not for God. That's not too wonderful. What about a debt-free life? What about a home paid for? What about a, what about a car paid for? What about your children taken care of and their tuitions paid and their clothing, their, their closets full of clothes? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be wonderful. Sure, it'd be wonderful. But it's not too wonderful. You need to know that. It's not too wonderful for God. What about a home with zero strife in it? What about a family and a marriage with no contention and no strife? Everybody's just loving each other and loving Jesus and building each other up. How wonderful would that be? Would it be? It's not too wonderful. It's not too wonderful for God. It's not too difficult, not too hard for him. So Jeremiah prays this prayer and God responds to him by the end of it. In verse 27, he said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
So that's how God answers the prayer. And you need to be ready for him to answer your prayer in the exact same way. Is there anything too hard for me? Especially if you're praying, sounds like maybe you think there could be something that would be too hard for him. You might just need to be ready for him to answer you and say, uh, behold, <laughs> or look, look at me. I am the Lord. I am God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Man, I've just been encouraged for the last several weeks. Just hearing the Lord say that to me, hearing me say it to him, there is nothing that's too hard for you. I want you to see this in the book of Matthew chapter 19. This is really just the, a different account of what we just read as we were receiving our offering. But look at chapter 19, the book of Matthew, verse, verse 25 again. Again, this is coming right on the heels of Jesus inviting this young rich guy to come follow him. And just think about the, 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 the rarity, the valuableness of Jesus looking eye to eye with somebody and saying, hey, come follow me. Now, everybody since that time, every human is going to hear those words, that invitation, follow me. Every one of us has had that little two-word invitation from Jesus, follow me. But not everybody got that invitation in the flesh from Jesus while he was walking this earth. So this is rare. This is precious. This is Jesus saying, I want you on this team, in this line with these guys, come follow me. And we just looked at this. This guy walked away sad at it. We know the whole conversation that ensued after that. And the disciples asked Jesus in verse 25, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And this is when Jesus said, with men, this is impossible. That word impossible means lack of strength. It means weak. It means no ability. That's what makes something impossible. You don't have enough strength or that thing is stronger than you are. And your strength compared to the strength of what's in your way is so small and you're so weak and you lack so much ability that whatever it is you're looking at, trying to get over, trying to move is impossible. Why? Lack of strength, no ability. Its strength, its ability surpasses your own. And this was, this was how Jesus answered this question, who can be saved? And he said, with men, it's impossible. You don't have enough strength. To save yourself, you do not have enough strength. To save your own life, to save your own soul, you lack the ability. He said, with men, it's impossible. You look this word impossible up and it means exactly what you think it means. It can't be done. It can't be done. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, with men, it can't be done. But with God, somebody help me out. Say it with me. All things are possible. So if impossible means it can't be done, help me now. What's possible mean? It can be done. And this is where we started last month. And you almost, you have to do this finger. You've got to get the finger going with it. It can be done. It can be done. And that word alone right there has been feeding life to me, feeding life to this ministry, to this staff for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now it can be done, glory to God. Amen. It can be done. 
I like the way this reads in the Weiss translation. Let me read it to you. I like this translation a lot. It's kind of one of my go-tos. In verse 26, Jesus, having turned his eyes upon them and having considered them, said to them, in the presence of men, as men look at this, it is impossible. But in the presence of God, as he looks at this, all things are possible. So I love how he expounds here on what it means to either be with men or with God because that's what's going to make the difference. He said, with men, it's what? Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With men, it can't be done. But with God, it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> can be done. But you have to decide who you're with. You've got to figure out who am I with on this. And we talked about this some last month, but you know, when you get people, say you've got three people in a room and you're one of them and you're stuck in the middle because the guy on the left and the guy on the right are fussing with each other. And this guy sees the matter at hand like this and the other one sees it a different way and they're going back and forth, back and forth. And I know it's gonna be like this and no, it's like this. And you're right there in the middle. At some point, they're gonna quit fighting and look at you and you're gonna have to decide who you're with. Who are you with? And you're going to look at him and you say, I'm sorry, I got to go with him on this, or I got to go with her on this. The reason I say that is I want you to hear the words that we so often use, but I want you to understand the meaning in them. What are you saying? I'm with someone on this. Well, you're just basically saying, I believe them. I've heard what they have to say. I've taken into account their perspective and I am with them. Your believing connects you and it will determine who you're with. And when you're facing impossibilities, you're facing things that on the outside look as though they can't be done, you have to decide and determine, who am I with on this? Who am I going to go with on it? And again, the Weiss translation says it like this. What does it mean to be with men? Well, Jesus said, if you're with men, or he said it like this, in the presence of men. As men look at this, it's impossible. This is what it means to be with somebody, to be in their presence. We know that, right? I'm with Sarah every day of my life. I'm in her presence. She's in mine. We're, we're with each other. We're together. We, we understand that. To be with some, I'm with you now. We are in each other's presence. And Jesus said, with men or in the presence of men, it's impossible. With men, in the presence of men, as men look at this, it's impossible. As they look at it, it can't be done. But with God. He said, with God, in the presence of God, as he looks at this, all things are possible. Guys, I believe God wants to do some things in our lives that cannot be explained. He wants to do some things in our lives, in our ministries, in our families that appear impossible, insurmountable odds, because this is when he shines. This is what he loves. 
the more I've meditated on this and the more I've, I've studied it and looked at it, the more I think God gets giddy yeah. when we are faced with impossibilities. You know, we talked a moment ago about this building. And the fact of the matter is, I could spend some time with a calculator. I could spend some time with Lauren, who oversees our numbers, and we just look at what comes in and look at the budget, and we could spend some time talking about that and punching those numbers in the calculator and writing them down on paper and trying to do this thing this way or that thing that way. But you all know what it's like to punch a bunch of stuff in the calculator and hit equals and it just look back at you and say, it can't be done. It just cannot be done. But we have to decide who are we with on this thing. Because the Lord said, buy up and build out. So who am I with on this? I'm either with men, the way men see this, the way men look at it, or we're with God and we see it the way he sees it. I told you this before, but just the last several weeks of 2017, just momentum was building. How do I say it? Just in our own life, our own home, with the Lord drawing us into a place of prayer. And I know what did it for me, and I'm sad to say, I had this experience in November where I've been through this before, but the Lord had for weeks and months been saying, Jeremy, come on, press into my presence. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. But I got tired from traveling. I'd been to South Africa and back, which was like six different airplanes and 60-something hours of traveling. I didn't sleep good while I was there, ministered a truckload of times on little to no sleep. And when I got home, I just was tired. I just was worn out. And all I wanted to do was check out and just honestly just kind of feed the flesh a little bit. Flesh out, as we say. And uh, just unresponsive to that still small voice, press into me, press into me. We'll show you some things. We'll show you some things. And some stupid little thing, I, I got this little red bump on my hand, right here on my left hand. And those of you who know me won't be surprised to find out I messed with it and I poked at it and I found, a, found, there's the key word, I found a pair of tweezers and I just started messing with this thing and it grew and it grew and it grew for a few days and then finally I was like, babe, do you think I should do something about this? And it got painful and by the time I went to see a doctor, my whole hand was like, it looked broken, but it was so swollen and so infected I walked around for days just like this. I had to keep it elevated. It was so painful. And I was walking through the house and Jordan, Sarah's brother, was like, hey, Jeremy, hi. I was like, what? He's like, you're waving at me. Hi, hon. Not waving at you. And uh, man, it was not a fun experience at all until one day, finally, just it broke and I got free of that infection, but it, it was painful. And I just went before the Lord. I'm like, what is going on? And he said, Jeremy, I've been calling you. I've been calling you for days and weeks and months. And I'm thinking to myself, where was all my faith to fight this off? Dr. Curry, you saw it. You remember seeing it. <laughs> yeah, he's the one that said, go get it checked. But... Uh, you know, when you're empty, it's hard to bear fruit if you haven't been abiding. Actually, it's impossible. And healing is major fruit. 
in our lives. The ability to declare the word of God in faith and see things change, that's fruit, that's proof, that's evidence of God. And it is not his fault when he's been calling you and beckoning to you, come into my presence, into my presence. I need you to see some things the way I see it. And we keep (laughs) declining the invitation. Don't be surprised when the little red bump turns into a giant infection and you can't seem to find the faith. All I could do for days and days was call on the mercy of the Lord. And he was merciful. He was gracious. The only thing that's left now is an ugly mark because God is faithful. Why did I get into all that? Um, Shortly after that, we got the clue and just began to seek the Lord. And we started praying and praying and praying and praying and turning the television off and pressing into prayer. And I grew up praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues, but there was just something over the last several months. I feel like I've prayed more in tongues than I have in the first 37 years of my life. And we just were pressing into God. And we had already decided that when January got here, we were going to turn the TV off and we're going to fast some things. We're going to turn down the voice of the flesh, turn up the voice of the spirit and just press into prayer. And I'm so thankful that we did because just in the first few days of January, some stuff popped up, not just in the ministry, but in our own lives personally. And we're sitting there looking at it going, okay, this looks quite impossible. This looks like it can't be done. And it was a bit of a surprise to us. I'll be honest with you. It, it, it came as a surprise, but I was so thankful that for days and weeks, we'd already just been building ourselves up, praying in the Holy Ghost. Because when it got here, we knew what to do. Now, we didn't necessarily know what to do about the thing itself, but we knew what to, how to respond to it. Just pressing into prayer, pressing into the Word, pressing in. Here's the reason I'm saying this to you pressing into the presence of God. Because as long as you're just in the presence of men, looking at it the way men look at it, it can't be done. It takes getting into the presence of God. When you get into the presence of God, you begin to see things the way God sees things. And as you're facing these impossibilities, and I know every single one of us in here have something that we're looking at or dealing with that looks impossible. And I would say to you, if you don't, your vision's not big enough. You need to take stock, take account. How much of what I want or am dreaming about in life is impossible without God? Because if there's not enough of it that's impossible, you're not thinking big enough. You're not dreaming big enough. You're not asking, praying, believing big enough. There needs to be some things that you and I can point at and look at in our lives and say, this is what God's told me to do. This is what God wants me to have. And there's no way to have it or do it or be it without him. Looking and getting excited, giddy like he gets about impossibilities. But what's going to have to change when we're looking at these impossibilities is not the, the natural circumstances of them. What has to change is the way we see it. And the only way what we see will change is when we get into the presence of God and we begin to see not only what he sees, but how he sees it. In Matthew, you're here in Matthew, turn back a couple of pages to chapter 13. 
In Matthew 13, Jesus had just preached the parable of the sower and his disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said in verse 14, that the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. A verse before this, he said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Hearing they hear, but don't understand. Seeing they see, but they don't perceive. Hearing they hear, but they don't understand. Seeing they see, but they don't perceive. He said to him in verse 15, the hearts of this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. I like this in verse 16 though. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Your eyes, Jesus said, are blessed. Your ears are blessed. It takes the blessing of the Lord on your eyes and on your ears to look at what everybody else is looking at and see what nobody else can see. That's the blessing of the Lord on your eyes and on your ears. Blessed, he said, are your eyes. Why? Because you're looking at what everybody else is looking at. You see the same impossibility everybody else sees, but you look at it and not only do you see, you perceive. Not only do you hear, you hear and understand. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12 in the New Living Translation, it says, a, a, a hearing ear uh, ears that hear and an eye that sees. Hearing ears and seeing eyes, both are gifts from the Lord. When you look at something that everybody else looks at, but you see possibility when everybody else sees impossibility, that's a gift. You've been given the gift of a seeing eye. When you hear what everybody else is hearing, when everybody else is talking, it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And you're hearing all the same facts. You're hearing all the same scenarios, scenarios, and yet you hear it can be done. All things are possible. It can be done. Your ears are blessed. You're hearing something everybody else doesn't hear. You're seeing something everybody else doesn't see. And it takes the blessing of the Lord on your eyes and on your ears to see what everybody else sees, hear what everybody else hears, but see what they don't and hear what they won't. That's the blessing of the Lord on you. That's a gift from God to you. Man, that's such a gift. Eyes that see, that's a gift. Ears that hear, that's a gift. And this is a major part of Jesus' ministry. Was this not one of the defining characteristics of his ministry? Ears being opened, eyes being opened. This is one of the things that defined him. I went back today and looked at scripture after scripture of every time Jesus opened blind eyes, blind eyes, blind eyes. And there are a number of accounts where you see it, but Jesus himself, when John's disciples came to him, and they just asked him point blank, look, are you the one? John sent them to say, find out if he's the one. I'm tired of guessing about it. Go ask him, are you the one? They said, are you the one or should we look for another? I love what Jesus said. He didn't just say, yeah, it's me. He said, you go tell John this. 
You go tell him the blind see. You go tell him the deaf hear. The dead are raised. He said, you go tell John that the poor have the gospel preached to them. So the answer to the question, are you the one, is in the evidence of what's coming out of his ministry. And one of the defining things of Jesus, not just as a miracle worker, not just as a prophet, but as the Messiah, was that blind eyes were opened. People who couldn't see can. That's what he said in Luke 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, right? Proclaim liberty to the captive, heal the brokenhearted, recovery of sight to the blind. This is one of the defining things of Jesus' ministry. But it's not just people who are naturally blind receiving their sight. How much more dangerous is it to live this life spiritually blind? It's far more dangerous, far more deadly to walk through this life with the eyes of your heart darkened. I was thinking about one of these instances in particular. You don't have to turn there, but Mark chapter 10 in, what was it? Verse, oh, down around verse 46, uh, Jesus was coming, in Jericho, coming into Jericho and Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus was sitting there and he heard Jesus was there and he began shouting out a lot like I was, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And uh, Jesus called him. In verse 51, he said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Which has always been kind of an interesting question. It's like, really, Jesus? You need me to spell this out for you? And Bartimaeus is like, they call me blind. What do you think y'all want you to do for me? But this is a good question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus answered the question. He said that I may receive my sight. And as I was seeking the Lord about this, this afternoon praying, I'm praying over you and praying over tonight. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about these things that we're, we're facing just even in the ministry and even personally. And some of these things the Lord's told us to possess and just, just looking at the so-called impossibility of it, you know, getting excited about it, getting in joy over it, staying in joy about it. So I got all these things kind of working on me at the same time. But I hear the Lord asking me the same question. I hear him asking you the same thing. What do you want me to do for you? And I think Bartimaeus' answer needs to be coming out of our mouth more than we realize. Lord, that I may receive my sight. Because I think if, he had, if Jesus had asked me that yesterday, Jeremy, what do you want me to do for you in the ministry? Lord, that I would receive this building. Lord, that I would receive this studio. Lord, that I would receive raises and bonuses for our staff. And all the staff said, there we go. And Lord, you know, I've got this list of things, you know, these, these things that we are in faith every day for. But the more I pray about this and what I'm seeing today is that this should be the answer to our prayer. Lord, that I may receive my sight. Lord, that I see this how you see it. That's the answer to your prayer, guys. Whatever the impossibility is, and 
for a blind man to see, that's impossible. With men, in the presence of men, as men look at this, it can't be done. But Jesus, or Bartimaeus, is not in the presence of a mere man. He's in the presence of a man anointed without measure, a man with the Spirit of God, a man with the, with the call of God on his life. Jesus, he's in the presence of Jesus. And it can be done. This is the answer to our prayer right here. Elijah, what do you want me to do for you? The Lord would ask that I would receive my sight. I want to see it the way you see it. Are you tracking with me? I want to see it the way you see it. I want the blessing of the Lord on my eyes. When I look at this building, when I look at what we need to do in the ministry, when I look at what Sarah and I are believing God for in our home, our family, Lord, I want the blessing on my eyes. I want to see the way you see. Some of you have heard me give this example before, but you know, you got to think back on a time when you were much, much smaller. And you guys have little kids. Um, you have little ones at home, J and K, we do too. And we forget what it's like to live life at that height. You know what I mean? I mean, your perspective at that height is so totally different. You don't really remember what it's like to be the littlest thing in a room. And stuff is just in your way all the time. And your eye level is like kneecaps. That's you for years. That's what you're looking at all the time. And I think we forget what that's like for just everything to be in our way at all times. It's no wonder kids are like, pick me up, pick me up, hold me, hold me, hold me. Why? I'm tired of looking at all this. I can't see anything. Pick me up. And I, and I, I remember thinking about this when we were at Disney World one time and we're standing there waiting for the parade to come down Main Street and Justice and Jesse, all of us were way back in the crowd. So if they're going to see anything, daddy is going to have to reach down and pick them up. And even if it's just for a few moments, my little ones who spend their lives down at this level with everything in their way, even if it's just for a few moments, when I pick them up, they are now seeing what I see. They are at my eye level taking in what I'm taking in. And I believe that the Father does this for every one of His children. At some point in our lives, He recognizes we live down here and stuff's just in our way all the time. And we're trying to see around stuff and see over things and get around this, that, and the other. And just stuff, it's just like stuff blocking our view all the time. Your father is faithful. And at some point in your life, if he hasn't already, he is going to pick you up and put you at daddy's eye level. And you are going to see what he sees. Well, when that happens, your eyes are blessed. You're seeing what he sees. But... One of the interesting things about children when they're picked up at that level, just because they're seeing what you see doesn't necessarily mean they're seeing how you see it. Jesse watching that parade come down the street, I'll never forget it. It was like sensory overload for her. It's flashing lights, it's sound, it's music, it's dancing. It's these big machines coming down the main street right at her. And her eyes got so big, she buried her head in my chest. It was just too much, just afraid of what's coming at her. And you think about it, at the time, she's what, two, maybe three? And for all she knows, you maybe you've heard me say this, but for all she knows, that's an actual six-foot mouse tap dancing right at her. 
what is a three-year-old supposed to do with that? You know what I mean? Now I'm looking at this and I'm not afraid because when I see that, I see a starving college kid in a mouse costume. I'm not afraid of that. She sees what I see, but not how I see it. And that same thing, that same process takes place with the Lord. He will show you what he sees. And what he sees is big. What he sees is vast. When you see it, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, no way. That's impossible. But the problem is you're seeing what he sees without seeing how he sees it. So how do we change how we see it? Go back to what Jesus said. In the presence of men, as men look at it, it's impossible. In the presence of God. Can I just focus on that for a second? In the presence of God. Praying today, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Jeremy, people don't spend enough time with me for me to change how they see. I can't get them to just stay with me long enough for me to change the way they're looking at something. And this is the statement he gave me. He said, prayer and praise that brings you into my presence has the power to change your perception and your perspective. I don't know why I haven't really thought about it in these terms until today, but this is what prayer is about. This is what prayer is for. It's not just a time carved out of the day so you can go and talk to him about what you want. It's a time for you to go get in his presence and for him to open the eyes of the blind and for you to start seeing things the way he sees things. But we don't stay there long enough. We praise, but it's not long enough to, bear with me here, to surgically remove the apostrophe T from can't. If you would stay with God long enough, he could surgically remove and get you to loosen your grip on the apostrophe T. <laughs> just just a, little, a little hash mark and a letter just totally changes everything. But people hold on to it with a death grip. And they're blind. They're blind. And this is why Paul prayed. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light and that you would know. That's what the word perception means. Jesus said they see and they don't perceive. In other words, they see and they have no idea what they're looking at. Perception means to know it. And that's why Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light and you'd know something, that you'd know the hope of his calling, that you'd know it. And it's prayer that brings you into the presence. It's praise that brings us into the presence of God. And if we just stay with him, oh, come on. This is what this whole thing's been about. With him. This is what, this is what prayer does. It gets you not with men, but with God. It gets you in his presence. It gets you seeing the way he sees. This is what our praise does. It gets you with God, seeing the way he sees. With him. It's time with 
him. And if he can get you to stay with him long enough, he can answer your prayer for sight. Lord, that I may receive my sight. I want to see this how you see it. There's a great example of this, and I'll tell this to you and be done. In the Old Testament, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm believing God that this is what's about to happen. This account we're about to read is about to take place in this place tonight. Somebody say, my eyes are blessed. My eyes are blessed. I, see, I see and I perceive. And I perceive. My, ears my ears are blessed. I hear, I hear. and I understand. In 2 Kings chapter 6, let's just read this whole thing starting in verse 8. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. Verse 9, And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Does everybody see what's happening here? The enemy's making plans, and the king's saying, Okay, I'm going to be here in this place. And the prophet, Elisha, Here's by the Spirit where this guy says he's going to be. And so the prophet just sends word to the king and says, hey, y'all don't go over there because Syria is going to be over there. And it starts making the king of Syria mad. He has no idea what's going on. It says the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So this kept happening over and over and over. Verse 11 says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you spoke in your bedroom. So the king gets a bright idea here. He says, uh, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he's in Dothan. Verse 14, therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army. Somebody say a great army. army. He sent a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city. I want you to get a picture of this tonight in your heart. They're here in the city and when this servant of Elijah wakes up the next day. He's just going outside like he normally does. And he looks up and there's a great army. What are they? Surrounding. I underlined that and I wrote this in my Bible. Surrounded means no way out. This is Satan's tactic. To do what he can to either surround you or at least make you feel like you're surrounded. Because if he can get you feeling like you're surrounded, then he can get you believing that there's no way out of what you're in. Can't get out. Can't be done. Stuck. Either surrounded. He's surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master... Here's the question. This is what you hear in the face of impossibility all the time. What shall we do? There's the question right there. I keep referring back to some of these things that Sarah and I are believing God for right now, and I can't wait to tell you about 
the unfolding of the miracle. It's going to be awesome. But through the course of this, there have been a few things that I've refused to let come out of my mouth. And this is one of them. I will not ask her and I will not ask myself, what are we going to do? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to let those words come out of my mouth. They sometimes try to reverberate in my heart and head, but I am not going to let them come out of my mouth. Because if they're coming out of my mouth, then I have accepted the pressure and I have accepted all the responsibility to get myself where I need to be. But I've, I'm starting to make a list of things that I refuse to say. It's my do not say list. <laughs> and this is one of them. What am I going to do? I'm not going to say that. I like the answer in verse 16. So he answered and said, do not fear for those who are what? With us. Who are what? With us. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Oh, come on. Is anybody else getting excited about this? Today? Those who are with us. You remember last month that family and I talked to you all about this, about being with God, about what it's like to step up to a barricade or a blockade or somebody blocking a door. And if your name's not on that list, you're not getting in. And to have God standing behind you and you can point at him and say, it's okay, I'm with him. I'm with him. But how much better is it to have God step out in front of you and say, he's with me. She's with me. And this is what the prophet said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. That's the answer to the prayer. It seems like the prayer should be, Lord, I pray, <clears throat> get us a way out of here. Lord, I pray, show me how to get out of this situation. Lord, I pray, and we start going to work on all the natural elements of the situation. God, if there was just, a, just, just some way to get through them, if there was just some, maybe we're not surrounded everywhere. Lord, I pray, show me a way out. Change, change all the natural elements of this. Um, Lord, give me a way out over here, or, or give me a way out over here. That wasn't the prayer, and that wasn't, the answer. The, an the prayer was, Lord, open his eyes. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened, his, uh, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I don't know why I hadn't seen this till today. I've read this account before where in my mind, here's Elisha and here's his servant and they're standing out there and the city's surrounded by the enemy and he prays, Lord, open his eyes and this is an awesome word. There's more with us than with them and he opens them and he looks out and there's horses and an army, the, the army of the Lord all around in the mountains. And this is awesome. This is amazing. But then I saw this today for the first time. It says not only were there horses and the army of God on the mountains, but there were chariots around Elisha. So let all of this paint a picture for you. Here's the servant. Here's Elisha. Here's them surrounded by, the, by their enemy. 
But then now you got to picture this other army on the outside of them and these horses and chariots that are right here around Elisha. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is what you feel like is surrounding you is actually surrounded. Do you understand me? That army, the bad guys, were actually surrounded. And this is what I've been praying, and I saw it today. Lord, come between us and the pressure that's on us. Come between us, come between our partners and the financial pressure that's on them. Come between the people watching this service tonight. Come between them and the pressure that's on them. Because when that army surrounds them, that's pressure. Surrounding is a picture of pressure and it's closing in and closing in and closing in and closing in. But the answer was not get me out of here. The answer to the prayer, or excuse me, the prayer is not get me out of here. The prayer is open my eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see what you see. And what did he see? He was not just surrounded by an enemy. He was surrounded by the army of the Lord. And actually his enemy was surrounded. I feel like I could draw it better than I could say it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I mean, Elijah and this guy right in the middle of it and the army against him, but then God's army against them. And then this circle of chariots right around Elijah. That's why he's just at ease, just relaxed. Don't be afraid. There's more that are with us than are with them. Lord, open his eyes. Lord, open his eyes. So this is my prayer tonight. Lord, open my eyes. The impossibility, uh, the impossible, make up a word here, the impossibleness of the nature of whatever you're dealing with or going through don't be quick to ask the Lord to go to work on it. That's not necessarily the thing that always needs to change. It's how you see it. It's how you see it. I told you for weeks and months, we've just been pressing in the Lord and praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues and almost without stopping. And just, I don't know, if, what was it, a few weeks ago, this is what started coming out in prayer. Like 30 days of, of, of fasting and praying and the interpretation came. And it was just simply, it can be done. It can be done. And I know it seems like 30 days is a long time to wait for one statement, but I can't begin to tell you what that did on the inside. When the Lord gave us that word, it can be done, I'm beginning to understand what was happening with that. We started seeing the way he was seeing. We started understanding the way he understood it. The facts of the situation haven't changed, and that's fine. The fact remains, the price tag on that building is what it is. The fact remains, it's not yet built out. Those, those are the facts. And the temptation would be, pray that the facts would change. That's not my prayer. Jeremy, what would you have me do for you that I may receive my sight? Amen? Amen. And it just was 30 days in the presence of God that finally one day we came out of that and said, it can be done. And the pressure fell off. 
the anxiety and the care of it. And it's a, it's a marvel. It's a miracle to me. That we're driving in the night. And I just told Sarah, I was like, I'm totally carefree. Just so carefree. And there are days when it tries to get in. We were having devotions in here the other day, and I was telling the staff, there are days it tries to get in. But I've been amazed at how weak it is. You just speak to it. You say, I'm not thinking about you. Get out of here. It just sort of, you know, just, it has no power. It has, it has no power. There's, a, there's only one way to arrive at that. You guys want to come up? There's only one way to arrive at that. It's time in the presence of God. Amen.